Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome. I hope you are doing well on this beautiful February day and the day before Valentine's. So happy Valentine's Day, a day early. We're going to have a conversation today that had me really thinking about normal. I've heard quite a few people, as of late especially, but in the last period of time, wishing things would get back to normal. And when I contemplate that and I look back, even all the way back to the pandemic, I don't know that things were really normal even before that. I think we got used to what things were, and that perhaps the pandemic and the period after that is helping us reclaim what is truly normal, what is truly natural. Is there such a thing as normal in the moments of today? Whether we look at health or politics or business or even our personal lives, what is normal? And how do we reclaim the type of normal that is truly natural? I have always believed that we each are born with a unique genius, that we are here to express something on the planet that no other individual human can, that it was our piece of the divine puzzle. But when we've strayed so far from our divine normal, how do we discover what that genius is? How do we reclaim that? And how do we find it in a society where conditioning has been our baseline from the time we were born? And then we move into structures and systems where, instead of our normal, we move into their normal and we get conditioned again. I think the type of abnormal that we are all living in is calling for change. It's calling for a new way to look at ourselves, to look at our companies, organizations, to look at our world, and to really discover all of our resources, not just those externally, but those in our midst those that are also internal, and how that relates to not only us achieving a new normal, reclaiming our natural normal, but returning our world to a state of normal that perhaps it has not seen in a long time, if ever. My guest today is Tabitha A. Scott, and she's been on before. We did a great interview a few years ago that you can look up on her book, uh, Trusting Your Animal Instincts. And she has come back with a powerful book that is just about this topic. And it's titled Powering Change, The Hidden Resource to Unleash Potential, Productivity, and Profits. Tabitha is a business futurist, a catalyst for positive change, a global speaker, and a best-selling author. With executive leadership in three $10 billion global organizations, she has a proven track record in organizational transformation, innovation, and sustainable solutions through her powerful insights, engagements, and keynotes. 
And whether you are an individual that is employed at a company, whether you're running a small business, or whether you are in the C-suite of a large company, I think there's a lot of things that you will garner from today's conversation that can help you reestablish a natural normal in your environment again, where everyone flourishes. Tabitha says that change management is a myth, that there are too many unpredictable variables in the world for us to manage, that technological advancement has outpaced human adaptability. So just going faster is no longer enough. Employees are in a state of imbalance, and the normal ways of working and living from the past aren't coming back. Trust of employers is at an all-time low, and burnout is at an all-time high. So what worked for us in the past can no longer guide us into the future, and keeping up cannot be achieved with traditional business tactics. I'd like to welcome Tabitha back to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome. It's so great to have you on again. I am so happy to be chatting with you today, Simran. Thanks for having me. Normal. Like, what is that anymore? We d- I don't know that anyone really knows what normal looks like, feels like, tastes like, um, breathes like, and particularly in environments where, you know, organizations are trying to thrive and uh, people are experiencing burnout or finding an inability to come back the way they were before after a period of stoppage. Talk about that word normal. Normal is nature. Think about it. Nature has balance. Everything in nature, which has been evolving for over 4 billion years, has adapted and evolved over that time into this perfect balance. And so the more we get away from the way of nature, the more we get away from normal. The pace of change today is accelerating at a rate that just makes my head explode. You know, the entire year of technological change during the year 2000, the whole year is now replicated every 30 seconds. And we can't adapt fast enough because these aren't natural systems. And the way we're treating each other in these big companies and the way that we're sharing with each other and, you know, providing uh, profits and sharing those with others, the way we're treating our team members, the way we're treating employees. Well, it's not in the natural order of things. And so the more we get away from that, the more we'll feel drained and burn out. So much of my own work is about reclaiming humanity, which is something that I think that every human being on the planet right now really needs to look at, whether they're truly living in their humanity or they've become robotic in their living. And I think so much of the robotic nature does come from fear and anxiety and trying to push back the things that we need to feel. And when we look at business, large organizations and small, there's so many places that fear and anxiety can seep in from. That includes the external, which is the stuff that just happens in life, in our families, in Uh, our own lives and our relationships to turning on the television and looking at the chaos that's going on there or hearing the 
conflict that is occurring in different people's experiences. But then there's also stuff that happens inside of an organization. So when we're looking at normal, when we're looking at nature, there are these external and internal factors that are kind of infringing upon that reclamation. Talk about how that contrast plays into this conversation. That's right. And if you think about fear and anxiety, where does that come from? It comes from not being present. It comes from worrying about what if, what if this happens again? It comes from a frame of reference of the past, of something that has happened to us. It doesn't come from being present and tapping into your source of energy. You know, um, there's a, a story that I reference in my book by a, a famous bishop, and he was talking about we all have the seeds within ourselves to grow an orchard. And he likened it to an apple. And he said, getting to those seeds, you can either rot to them or you can cut right to the core. You can manage what's inside of you and acknowledge it and help it be productive and grow into something amazing and fruitful. I love that analogy because it reinforces that we're all made of the same energy, whether it's an apple, plants, animals, all living things, and even organizations, because aren't they just another form of organism that follow the same exact growth curve as Mother Nature invented throughout all these billions of years? We're all made of energy. It's throughout our language. It's why we say things like, he's transformed. You know, I feel drained today. She lit up the room. I feel burnout, you know, and if you have a great idea, what goes over your head? A light bulb. So throughout our language, we talk about this interchange, connectivity, disconnected. It's throughout the way we describe how we feel. And the earlier we can recognize, be in the present and tap into that energy. How is that energy feeling right now? Am I feeling off? Well, why is that? And what can you do to recharge? What are those things you love to do that you can plug into and recharge yourself? Let's go back to a couple of words that you said. And the first one is energy. And so much of your book is about energy. And in this context of electricity and current. And so... How do we bring that into the conversation of businesses and organizations to where it really does shift and transform that apple from the inside out? Yeah, I think there's a couple of ways. First, I talk about when you're dealing with fear and uncertainty and the lack of normal, whether it's in a business or outside of a business in your regular family or everyday life, it's thinking about connecting first. If people are disconnected, if your employees are disconnected, they can't engage, they can't move forward. So the first step is connecting, just like plugging in a lamp before it can be turned on. The second piece of that is direction. A lot of people, you know, going back to old business books like Good to Great, people don't understand where they're supposed to go, what they're supposed to do. What is this new norm? How does this affect me? So the more clear you can be with direction, then again, back to mother nature, you get this Venturi effect where people can move faster and more powerfully, the more you can direct what their expectations are. 
And then finally, you can accelerate another energetic term. You can get behind their purpose. And purpose is that fourth dimension that can help people. It's like adding fuel to a fire because the motivation, the productivity, the innovation, it just accelerates when you add purpose into the equation. In the book, you talked about um, this this campaign to try to have individuals be more energy efficient. And there was a lot of information that was put out there to try to support individuals in, in having a lot of ideas in how they could be more energy efficient in their homes. But nothing seemed to work. So how does that connection direction piece how does how does that apply there in terms of the shift that was made to actually help people integrate because i don't know that just motivation works anymore whether it's the individual or the organization to just have the motivational words is not necessarily going to create the change what actually initiates a step of change yeah, it's. I'm so glad you asked that because our attention span now is officially less than a goldfish. A goldfish has a nine-second attention span, and an 18-year-old American has an eight-second attention span. And so sending out policies, here's the biggest problem, the biggest mistake. And I did it myself and then spent a lot of time researching and figuring out why it didn't work when they want to do something like let's say energy savings or maybe they have a new policy of giving in their organization anything that you want to get people to change their behavior they tend to form a committee and then create a policy and then send out oh here are the 10 new things we're all going to do and um, they might as well be you know taking a vacation because it's not going to work what does work, and I love Malcolm Gladwell's work and Made to Stick and Tipping Point, he gives some great examples of it better be hyper relevant. People have to know the whiff them, what's in it for me, and just give them one thing at a time because that's all our attention spans can hold. You know, classes, universities are even considering shortening them to 39 minutes because the human attention span can't sit still for an hour anymore. Like we literally can't absorb the material. And so as our attention spans are shortening and shortening and technology is increasing, so it's giving us more and more information. If you want people to change their behavior, you have to say, this is why you might want to change. And here is one thing you can do right now. And then be worried about giving them another thing next month or next year. But keep it really simple at first. And that's the best way to get people engaged. Now, when we look at organizations and businesses, does the same principle apply in terms of making change or does profit and productivity require that accelerated rate? Is there a push that actually misses some of the steps and does that create kind of a backward movement in the organization instead? Yeah, I think... When you're talking about change in a massive organization, you have to break it down. And this goes back to that energy conservation example you gave. We had all of these green homes and we were so excited that people in them would be using less energy. And what happened was once we started getting the feedback from those new homes, we realized people were actually using more energy in them and we couldn't figure it out. So we gave them lots of energy tips 
And that did not change their behavior either. You know, in adults, now children are different, but in adults, the correlation between education alone and behavior change on a sustained basis for adults is zero. People, and it's like, I would have a salad every day. I know that would be good for me, but yet I will reach for something fast um, instead. So humans are really hard to get them to change their behavior. And what we did is over time, we began narrowing and narrowing our scope so that eventually we gave very relevant and actionable tips just one at a time. We did that by using smart meter data, and this was back in 2013, so it's been a minute, but we used the smart meter data, and then on the back end, we used AI to tease apart what types of things are the people probably doing when that energy spikes? Is it that they're running the washing machine five times a day? And then we would send a very specific tip in the method they chose. They might want to call, they might want to text, they might want to know Facebook Messenger. So they choose the method. It's hyper-relevant because it's their exact behavior, and it happens right as they're doing the behavior. So now we say, you know, just wash clothes once a day, add it up together. Um, and very relevant tips. We dropped energy consumption in those homes 15% with no retrofits, and that's kind of unheard of. But people will change if you get really relevant and really actionable. This will save you a dollar a day if you change this one thing that you're doing right now. That makes it much easier than some abstract list of tips included with their electric bill at the end of the month. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a really powerful piece because I think that that direction and that focus does allow individuals to really know what they're here to do, especially in this time where distraction seems to be just rampant. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to something else you said, and you talked about organizations or businesses being organisms. And I love that throughout the book, how you correlate that idea so that we start to look at them as entities that are growing and evolving and thriving or on their downward decline or the different phases of growth that even us as humans go through. Talk a little bit more about how we start to look at organizations more as an organism that we are a part of, as opposed to something that is a place to go, an ob objective to achieve, a profit to attain, but really an organism, organism that is here to experience and express. Yeah, organizations all have to go through the same four cycles. Always. It's the law of nature. So birth, the startups, growth when they're starting to take off after the pilot phase, and then maturity. Those are the cash cows that have been around. Your Fortune 500s are often in that phase. And then decline. And there are specific things that I talk about in the book that you do during those different phases. You need different executive leaders. For example, I used Southwest Airlines. They kept hiring leaders that would be great for the, the growth phase, for scaling and optimizing and making things more efficient. Instead of once they reached maturity, they needed reinvention. They needed new technologies. They needed innovation. But they just kept hiring these 30-year veterans that were making it more and more efficient. What happened was the Christmas fiasco last year, when um, the year before last, 
where they didn't invest in new technologies. They were still trying to just refine and refine and, and refine. And so they had to have this disaster as a wake-up call. Every company is the same. And whether you're talking about being in the C-suite as a leader of it, uh, pulling in the right type of leadership team, or even every human, every person is optimized somewhere along the growth cycle. I live at the very beginning of it. I naturally think into the future, what's going to happen next? So it's hard for me to be present. People like me are great with innovation and ideation and strategy. Then you have people that are very risk averse at the top of that curve. And those are great for auditing or legal engineers. 90% of Purdue engineers are at the top of that curve based on the studies that they have done. And so you don't want to hire someone at one end of that spectrum, the growth cycle, and put them in a role for the other end because they're going to eventually burn out. That's what drains your energy is when you're not at your optimal point along the curve. And then scaling up the curve, well, that's the people that kind of get it done, make things happen like project managers, you know, midline managers, those are the people that are the glue that connect from end to end. And so the book walks through how to assess where are you on that curve? And this is simplifying, I go through four different dimensions, but um, where are you on that curve? Where are the other members of your team? Now, what kind of sprint are you doing? What is the project at hand? You might need people at the top of the curve, or you might need to balance or you might need people at the bottom. But the book talks about diversity, which is informed by nature. Diversity is throughout nature. It's prolific. And that's why it recovers time and time again through ice ages, through human um, intervention, parasitic intervention. The planet's going to be fine. It just might kick us off if we don't get our act together. When I'm listening to you, Tabitha, what I'm Hearing is not unlike personal or spiritual growth. It it sounds like self-awareness, but it sounds like it at a different level. Do organizations and businesses have a way or a model of self-awareness? And then are the individuals in that organization kind of like ourselves of the body, where we then have to intuit where the disease is, where the sickness is, where... Uh, the need or the healing is, where the power is, does that correlate in the same way? It, it does. And I assert in this book, one of the things that has never been published in a book before is this direct link between a, a lot of companies try to assess psychology and they'll use Carl Jungian based programs and assessments like um, DISCs, Strength Finder, Culture Talk, uh, discovery tools, insights, all of these focus on the way we feel. And so those are good conversations around how to communicate and how you might be impacting others. But what I'm interested in in this book is tying that to ontology, not just psychology, but how are we acting? How are we being? How are we showing up? And I take the chakras, the energy centers of the body that are a source of energy. We have the chakras and the nadis and various you know, systems of energy within our system to distribute that electricity throughout our bodies. You can take those models and what they represent 
and directly line it up with any psychology model in modern day. For example, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, looking at that pyramid, it lines up perfectly with the human chakra system. You can map overlay Paul Hawkins' map of consciousness. I give that as an example in the book. And it goes, you know, at the bottom from apathy up to enlightenment at the top, which again, maps back to those chakras. You can even look at like psychology studies in organization, like Google Aristotle's famous project about what makes successful teams. And again, it lines up the exact same. And so I do this throughout the book using the growth curve and different business models, as well as the chakra centers with different psychology models to show that energy really is the root of all things, whether it's people or organizations. And until we can deal with our energy and how we're showing up ontologically, well, psychology and actions come after that. Energy is the source of everything, which takes us back to nature. Normal is nature and being in balance. Yeah, I love that grid that you have within the book that shows those different models together. And it's quite powerful because those lower three chakras have everything to do with safety and grounding. And if we look at the microcosm and the macrocosm, it's almost as if each individual in an organization is that microcosm that then allows the macrocosm of the organization to flourish. But if the majority of those are still in that lower three chakras or that lower section that is not necessarily feeling safe, not necessarily feeling connected uh, as part of the group, then they can't move through that heart space that connects them to their highest place and genius of what they can bring forward to actually empower that organization. So that was fascinating how you did that in the stories that you bring forward through there. As we Thank you look at nature and we see that as our normalcy, we look at cycles and rhythms and how we each have those cycles and rhythms. And it's almost as if there is this wheel within wheel kind of hologram of the organization being the body home and all the people within it being uh, the pieces. So how do we get everyone in that resonance of uh, the cycles and rhythms that the organization is going to be able to go through. And before yeah. we answer that question, I'm going to have you answer it after the break. Um, I'd love for you to just for a moment, talk about resiliency. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll do that. Resiliency would be tapping into that energy, finding your resonance by finding and doing more of what you love to do in the workplace. That's how you power an organization from the inside out. When you think of what they call HR, it's human, what? Resources, resources are fuel, they power things. And whether you're talking about people resources, financial resources, material resources, water, uh, supplies, et cetera, it all boils down to how can I get more energy into this living organism or organization? So resilience is the fact that you're able to do that, create that power, but sustain it throughout the growth phases. And when you get to that decline phase, either figure out how to divest into something else or renew yourself onto a brand new growth cycle. And we can talk about that more after the break. 
Tabitha Scott wrote this book, Powering Change, with the heartfelt intention of sharing a transformative guide, one that connects the wisdom of the natural world with the practices of modern leadership and business. She hopes that you're inspired to embark on your own voyage of discovery, with the secrets of bioscience and human dynamics as your resource to unlocking the full potential of yourself and your workforce. I invite you to find out more about Tabitha at TabithaAscott.com. There she's got her book events. She's got both her books and other things that she's engaging with. So definitely check her out. That's TabithaAscott.com. We'll be right back after these messages. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. 
And before we get back to Tabitha Scott and Powering Change, I want to mention a brand new online course that just released yesterday. It is titled Intuitive Living, Sign Symbols and Synchronicity as Life's Language. And you can find that at my website. This week for Valentine's, you can get $100 off. Use the code VALENTINE. And uh, if you'd like to have a free preview, you can take the entire first module for free and get an experience of the course as you decide to venture more deeply. So definitely go to imsimran.com for the Intuitive Living course. I want to also mention some beautiful new audiobooks that I have narrated. They are powerful and may be supportive in your journey. The first one is The Twelve Steps of Forgiveness by Paul Farini, one of my favorite authors and one of the first authors I came across as I began my own spiritual journey. It's a powerful book on forgiveness that I think is a must-read, especially now, more than ever with a lot of the things that are going on in our world. And the second book is Undaunted by Carolyn Baker, and it deals with climate chaos and the anxiety that people are feeling. She does a beautiful job of outlining what that looks like and how to support our young people and each other as we move through the deep work that is required in moving through climate chaos. My guest today is Tabitha A. Scott, and you can find out more about her at her website, TabithaAscott.com. She has released another book that is titled Powering Change. She was on the show previously with Trusting Your Animal Instincts, which I also invite you to go back and listen to that archive as well as checking out that book. Uh, But this book today we are talking about has everything to do with unleashing the hidden resources that allow for greater potential productivity and profits. And she says that the challenges we face in today's fast-paced business world can be overwhelming, but within each of us lies an incredible power waiting to be unleashed. This powerful current flows through every organization, every team, and every individual, ready to ignite our potential and propel us towards success. Tabitha's view in the world is not that we have anything to save, but that we are headed toward the greatest experience that we could ever desire. Tabitha, a lot of people might cock their head at that one. And particularly in the business world or in the political world or healthcare systems, want to go into that frenzy of uh, the world is headed toward a slippery slope and we can't really do anything. But when we left the last segment, we were talking a bit about the microcosm and the macrocosm within an organization and how we use that to be our guiding points of intuition or places of healing or growth. And I'd like for you to expound on your thoughts regarding that and how the current, the electricity, the energy that we are plays into it. Sure. Thanks, Simran. And I'm so excited to be talking with you today about this. When you think about the microcosm, as you call it, I'd like to think of that as the people and the teams within an organization. And I'll share with you a story about a fellow named Albert. And we were working with a Fortune 200 company doing a study and and working with them on collaboration. And uh, we're in Boston. This one team is sitting together and I can see there's this outlier this guy that doesn't seem to fit in with the rest of the team. And we looked at how that team was energized 
And I told the story that the members of that team, there were 11 people on the team and 10 of them all loved change. You know, they were future forward. They were living into the possibility of new things. And this was a sales team, which you want your sales and marketing folks to be looking future forward. But they were also stimulated by being around other people. And they were very complex. They were generalists, which means they were energized by seeing how things related together, like the whole puzzle versus specialization. How does this work? You know, it's like a general physician versus a heart surgeon or a brain surgeon, a specialist. And what had happened is I talked about they're kind of like dogs walking in a park. And because they're so excited by new things and shiny things, they might chase a ball. They might, you know, want to go over and play with another dog sniff a tree, like anything that they could get into, they would. And so we talked about that and the team was laughing along and they were imagining how much fun each of them were having as these puppies in the park. And then we talked about Albert. Well, Albert was the exact opposite in every way. He did not enjoy being around people. He was very much a specialist. So he was always taking apart, how does this work? And then he was very risk averse. So he was looking to the frames of reference from the past and measuring that up to identify risks. And instead of them embracing each other, they were kind of polarized and leaving him out. So I explained their story first and everyone was laughing and thinking about these dogs and the park just having a great time. And then I talked about a ball that was thrown across the busy highway. And what did they do? They chased it. They went right into the highway because they were oblivious of the risks and their surroundings and what could happen. And so Albert, Albert was the dog walker. And there are people in our lives and in our companies that we need for balance. And so as you look at these microcosms, what is the balance on your team? And Albert would have found the risks. And so after telling this story, they realize, oh, well, he can actually save our necks. You know, literally, that leash could hold them back from getting into trouble sometimes. And that's how we are in our companies. We might have people on teams that are too risk averse and we're trying to move forward in an innovative way and reinvent ourselves like Southwest Airlines. We talked about that earlier. Or we might have the opposite problem where we're not looking at the risks and we're getting ourselves into trouble again and again and we have no focus. And so it's finding everyone's sweet spot, what energizes each person because they're their own living microcosm. And when you understand, assess what jazzes you up, then align to the right job role. That's step number two. And three, adapt. One project might require more people of one type and a different project needs a completely different team. This is not like linear business anymore. This is not like a daily commute where you know where you're going every single day. Even with social media as one variable, you know, technology, AI, it's changing so fast. It's more like chaos theory than linear math. And so you have to constantly be changing that microcosm to get the best power production for what you have your needs at hand. Like if you have a building, I'm from the built sector. I've worked in that for 18 years. If you have a building in 
Arizona that's full of sun, you might want to get more power out of solar there than if you have one in Canada, which is cloudy, you might want to use a different technology like water heating there. So everything is different based on your environment, our personal environment, our team environment, and our corporate environments. And each of them have the opportunity to maximize our energy and avoid burnout by doing the things we love to do. You talk in the book about the constants, which are chaos and complexity, and how that chaos theory focuses on the unpredictability in occurrences and behaviors. And if this is the case, if we are in a state of chaos where organizations are uh, simultaneously unpredictable and yet at the same time patterned and orderly, how does an individual step into greater alignment as opposed to misalignment. And I'm, I'm going here because you also told a story about uh, a, a good friend of yours and a woman that kept trying to create change, kept trying to address what individuals in the organization needed, but couldn't get upper-level management or her boss to listen. And that ended up resulting in a couple of suicides, and suicide is at an all-time High. So how do we create within this chaos and complexity the space for people to step into their nature, their normal, their genius? Yeah, part of it comes from the individual and part of that comes from the organization. So creating the space for it, it comes from the organization recognizing the signs of burnout. In the case you mentioned with my dear friend Maggie, she actually had done a study and had hundreds of comments from people in the organization, but they ignored them. They didn't listen. They didn't care for their people and create that space. And she felt helpless. She needed the job as a single parent. And so many people struggle with the same thing. They feel like they can't quit. They feel like there's no way out. And you're right. Suicide is at an all-time high. We've got to fix that. and. That's one of the key reasons that I wrote this book is because people are burning out. People are off balance. People can't keep up with the pace of change. And we have to get back to the laws of nature and how to energize ourselves. Now, how do we do that? We listen to our intuition, something you know intimately. What are those things that we're doing when we're humming or subconsciously smiling? Um, we have a little extra pep in our step. We forget to stop and eat. Those are the things in flow. And isn't it interesting that they choose the word flow for that? Because that's when you're in your greatest state of energy transference. You're getting closer to the top of the pyramid using your upper level chakras. You can't get into action and be creative if you're down in your safety needs, if your employees are worried about their job, if they're worried about burnout, if they think your management team doesn't care, then it's no surprise they can't be creative and innovative because they're stuck in their lower chakras. They're stuck in their lower needs from Maslow's hierarchy of needs and Paul Hawkins' map of consciousness. So there's no mystery to why people aren't as productive as they used to be because they can't get their energy levels up. And we've got to stop chasing change. Everybody's trying to chase it. Companies are trying to chase the latest fad, the latest business business technology. And guess what? Stop it. Stop chasing change. You're never going to catch it. Instead, you have to go inward. Get back to that apple seed analogy we talked about earlier. Cut to the core 
of your energy and figure out where are your seeds of growth? What can you do to energize yourself? What are those activities? It might be as simple as petting your dog for a few minutes, but find those things and gamify your day if you have to. If you hate your job, then tell yourself, if I'm sit through two more meetings today, I'm going to stop and take the dog for a walk, or I'm going to have a piece of really nice dark chocolate. Whatever something is that will bring your vibe up a little bit, keep your guitar next to your desk if you can. Um, Do a little bit of music, play your favorite song, but find ways to reconnect to your own energy, because if you don't, that's what causes burnout. You have a line in the book where you say, through an energetic lens, burnout is caused by doing things that consume rather than recharge our energetic resources. And so we have to be really self-monitoring in terms of what that looks like. Otherwise, we're really not doing any good to an organization and even less good to ourselves. That's right. That's absolutely right. And it's true in our personal lives. You know, when that person's name comes up on your phone and you get that feeling in your gut like, oh, no, I do not want to talk to her today, then don't, you know. Um, There are certain times that we need to protect ourselves and putting yourself out there again and again just burns you out. And it's the same with your job, whether it's in your personal life or your job. If you hate everything about your job or your boss or what you're doing, if there's no purpose to it, then you might as well start looking now. If you can't go somewhere else, then work with your advisor and try to do more of the things you love. Maybe you like mentoring. Maybe you could take on a mentor. And these are really important conversations to have with your teams. When we get teams together, it's so interesting. Inevitably, there will be people that put up things like we do this dashboard and say, what are the things in your day-to-day job that really drain you? And what are the things that energize you? Inevitably, we always find for some reason that there are people that are so drained by doing like PowerPoint presentations. And there are other people that are so jazzed up about it. And just having these conversations with the team, you could switch around a couple of things that you really don't like and they really love and everybody's happy. So having conversations with yourself, with your team members, and with your company's leadership for alignment, because the more you're in alignment, the bigger resonance you're going to get, and therefore, the more power you're going to produce. You asked some powerful questions within the book that perhaps some people right now are asking themselves, and they are, how can forward-thinking leaders catch up with change and leverage it for momentum and growth? How can we create a balanced culture? that attracts and engages good workers? And how might we convert burnout to enthusiasm that is contagiously channeled among diverse teams, flowing back and forth unencumbered by friction? Further, what sparks people's curiosity, gets their blood pumping, and ignites them to take action? Is there a singular thing that you can tell us right now that might be a catalyst towards answers for people to some of those questions? Yeah, I think it goes back to singling in to what energizes you. Know thyself, you know, the ancient words of wisdom, know thyself. If you know what energizes you, whether that's looking future forward, whether that's putting things into an existing frame of reference, whether that's working with people or working with things, whether that's being a specialist or being a generalist, whatever 
jazzes you up, understand that first. You got to assess that first. Then you can align what you're doing every day, the people that you're around, the career that you choose to that. And finally, you adapt because things are changing so darn fast. We can't keep up. So you have to adapt. So that's what I call the AAA framework, just to keep it simple, assess, align, adapt, and do it over and over again. That's our life. That is our purpose here. Assess, am I doing what I'm put here to do? Am I being most powerful in a way that energizes me? Align, am I aligned with the right people in the right places to do that in the right company, in the right job? And then adapt. If you're not, then go. Because what the heck have you got to lose? A job, your frustration, what's your sanity worth? You know, go for it. Take the risk. You say that the concept, the everythingness of energy and how it affects all that we do in our personal and professional lives is at the core of understanding and applying the human dynamics framework. Is, is that what you're talking about when you talk about those three things or what is the human dynamics framework? Yeah, human dynamics is, and that is the same AAA framework, assess, align, adapt. But human dynamics is just a way that I describe how because we're all made of energy, then you can predict people's behavior based on the laws of energy and motion, which sounds kind of abstract, but let me give you an example. Anybody that's ever had a new idea, whether it's at home, like let's try this new meal, or if it's at work, let's try this great new idea, you're going to get an equal and opposite reaction if the people are caught off guard. So they're going to say things like, I don't have the resource, I don't have the budget, we don't have the time. But people's first response is often an equal and opposite reaction. That's just the basic laws of physics. Now, how you can use the laws of physics in your advantage to get things done at work is figure out what do people already want to do? So maybe they have a focus this year of enrolling people in a new exercise program. I'm making this up off the top of my head. If you want more people in the exercise program, then align whatever new idea you have around that. And if you align it to where they're going already, now you're accelerating moment, you know, and adding momentum versus creating something from inertia and having to fight that equal and opposite reaction. In my line of work, working with sustainability and, and tech innovation to reduce energy use and emissions, I see the biggest challenge, and this frustrates me so much, Simran, when you have environmentalists that are actually making the problem worse by alienating through their language and their behavior, instead of bringing people to the table, they're villainizing everyone. You're doing bad things. You've ruined my childhood. You're evil fuel industry. Well, guess what? There are 35 million people in the fossil fuel industry and their families, you know, multiply that by 10 times with their families that you just alienated away from the table. Instead, if you want to change behavior, look at how physics works. That st Those statements are polarizing, right? You have an equal and opposite reaction. I don't care who's right and who's wrong. I'm looking at the physics of behavior. That's what we're talking about here. So if you want to get people moving forward, powering positive change, you got to focus on the things everybody wants, which are things like safety, the ability to feed their families, 
um, the ability to to tap into your purpose and follow your purpose, health, back to those bottom needs on those hierarchies and chakras. So everybody wants those things, right? Let's stop attacking each other. Things are more polarized today than they've ever been before in history. 40% of Americans are getting their news from social media, which is completely biased information. So let's come to the same table and figure out what charges up everybody, what energizes everybody, and power that change together. You write that nature's networks have already proven their resiliency in the face of constant unpredictable change. We have much to learn from the behavioral patterns and activity found throughout bioscience. We have just a couple of minutes left, but what would you say are one or more of the greatest things that we can learn from nature in terms of whether it's resiliency or the behavioral patterns that we need to re-identify with? Yeah, looking at resiliency, I go back to growing up on a small farm. And I had a couple of elementary school teachers as my parents. And so it was this wonderful opportunity to live resiliency. And what I mean by that is we planted these little gardens and you had to plan ahead. You knew what the growth cycle was. Certain times of years you ordered seeds, other times you planted them, and still others you harvest. And so it's that same growth cycle we got to experience I experienced that there was no waste. You know, I would have to muck the stalls from the horses and put that manure in a big pile. And then after a while, when it settled down, we would take that and use it as fertilize to grow the plants. And so there was no waste in these natural systems. I would drag the John boat out to the creek with my one-eyed Dalmatian. And, you know, we would go down the creek and, and witness the stream going around the rocks. You know, it doesn't stop flowing because there's obstacles in the way. It goes around and adjusts and adapts. Even when there's floods and unforeseen events like in our lives, it still adapts over time. And so I think for people to really tap into what makes them flow it's to go back to nature. Nature has the answer for every personal and business crisis in the world. We just have to listen to it. Mm. Powerful concepts in this book that I think anyone that picks it up can implement into their own world, their organizations, their small businesses, even within their social organizations that they are a part of. It is time to get back to nature, back to normal. It's time for us to reclaim this truth about ourselves that is all among us, that is very much given as the lessons of even the mycelia that sits beneath our feet within the ground and the way that nature collaborates amidst itself in the seen and the unseen spaces of our world. The challenges we face in today's fast-paced business world can be overwhelming, but within each of us lies an incredible power waiting to be unleashed. This powerful current flows through every organization, every team, and every individual, ready to ignite our potential and propel us towards success. This is from Tabitha A. Scott's book, Powering Change, the Hidden Resource to Unleash Potential, productivity, and profits. I invite you to find out more about her by going to TabithaAscott.com to check out her book events, to pick up this book along with Trusting Your Animal Instincts and find out more. 
about what this brilliant being is doing in the world. Thank you so much, Tabitha, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. Until next week, I am Simran, in love, of love, with love, and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.